it says, this is John 7, 14 through to the end. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it? How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that there is, sorry, that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple. You know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests 
and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone before him, who had gone to him before, and was one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Monk, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Uh, there's a handout um, both, I think, in the chat and also in the email and also in front of you. Uh, if it will help if you follow the handout and keep the John's Gospels open. I want to suggest there is a strong rhetoric in today's society against those who have faith. Um, if you have faith, you're unscientific, you're deluded, you're juvenile, you're irrational, and you may be a bit of an idiot. And I guess it can be quite unnerving to be a Christian uh, because once you identify as one, uh, you are admitting to these descriptions. And perhaps one of the reasons why that happens is what I call the expert argument. A lot of experts, they reject faith in Jesus. I'll take two popular examples, uh, Richard Dawkins, which many of you would know, a brilliant mind, a more intellectual and articulate than me, he has an Oxford degree, uh, but he rejects Jesus. Therefore, he must be right. He's the expert. We are not. Therefore, he must be right. I take Bart Ehrman. Uh, some of you might have heard of him. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar. Uh, he teaches New Testament at a college, but he's not a Christian. Uh, he rejects Jesus' lordship and his divinity. Again, he's the expert. Uh, we are not experts, therefore, he must be right. So you can feel the force of the argument. Uh, the experts, they reject Jesus. And for commoners, uh, I guess like me, and maybe some of you, it can be very disconcerting. We are not experts. We read the Bible that it points to a historical Jesus. We trust in the evidence. So are they right? Are the experts right? I want you to know as well that the expert problem was not a new problem. It was the same problem back in the day, uh, back in the first century. It was always there. Now, who were the experts back then? Uh, the teachers of the law, uh, different groups of Jewish leaders. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, different schools uh, studying the law. Uh, you would go to the Pharisee school, um, the, I guess the Oxbridge of the day, and you would study the scriptures. And I guess they all look really important had really thick glasses, had beards, and really long robes. And they all, they all rejected Jesus. What do you, a commoner, would know? You see, John the Apostle, the apostle who wrote this gospel, he's also a pastor because he cares for those who's reading. He wants us today to have confidence, to understand their rejection, their unbelief. And over the next few weeks, we'll explore more about unbelief. Uh, we'll take unbelief and John will help us to analyze it, to understand why they rejected Jesus. And in the first of three weeks, uh, the, what we'll see today is that rejection of Jesus is illogical, it's ill-informed, and also irrational. 
the Jewish leaders, they were wrong. Jesus was right. Richard Dawkins, Ehrman, they are wrong. Jesus is right. Rejection of Jesus is illogical, ill-informed, irrational, unintellectual. Well, let's see what God is saying to us today. We've been coming with us, uh, we are looking at John 5 to 10 in this series, and I've argued that John 5 to 10 is structured around five different feasts. And the feast that we are looking at from John 7, right there in verse 2, is the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths runs from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 8. Uh, that's also one reason why chapter 8, verse 1 to 11 is not there in the original. Um, it's not there in the earliest manuscripts, but it also breaks the feast into half. Uh, you can ask me more about that after the talk. But there's two key things to know about the Feast of Booths. And over the next few weeks, we'll unpack what they mean. Uh, what happened in the Feast of Booths was Israel. They were celebrating and remembering God's provision in the wilderness. Two things. God provided water to them from the rock. And also in the darkness, he led them with a pillar of fire. So that's the Feast of Booths. And this is the feast that Jesus attends in chapter 7. And when he stands up to speak in the temple, there's a huge reaction. And let's pick up from the narrative from verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Uh, do you see what they're saying? This man is teaching. But he has no outward credentials. There's no rope, no Oxbridge certificate. How does he have learning? Uh, yet, Jesus will go on to expose their lack of logic. So the question, why do people and why do the experts reject Jesus? Well, first point on a handout today, if you're following, the rejection of Jesus is illogical. Well, in chapter 5, if you with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. And the Jewish authorities, they wanted to kill him for breaking the Sabbath. But look down to verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Well, what Jesus is saying is actually quite simple. There are two Jewish laws. Um, you had the Sabbath law, not working on, on, on Saturday, but you also had circumcision. You need to circumcise a newborn boy on the eighth day. The problem comes when, what if on the eighth day falls on the Sabbath? What do the Jews do? Very simple. They circumcise the boy by breaking the Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying here? He's just saying, why don't you apply the same logic to me? At verse 23. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Uh, do you see the point? On circumcision, you mark a small part of the body, but healing a man, he makes a whole body well. Uh, Jesus says, apply the same logic, but don't be hypocritical. 
And so their rejection of him, I guess, was illogical, hypocritical. One law for them and one law for others. And I wonder whether it's quite similar today. I've been chatting to some of you and you say it can perhaps be like this in some offices. Now, perhaps more and more Christians get silenced under the guise of diversity. And the rhetoric goes something like this. Because we care about diversity and the minority having a voice, therefore Christians must stay silent. We are diverse, you are not. But it's hypocritical, illogical. And I know some of you are speaking up in your offices, and that's important uh, to call out the hypocrisy. And there is nothing wrong with diversity, but there's something wrong when minorities get silenced. Rejection of Jesus is illogical. But it's more to say, uh, there's, there's, we get to point number two, rejection of Jesus is also ill-informed. See, the next problem that the crowd have against Jesus is his origins. I look to verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one would know where he comes from. Uh, the argument works something like this. There are two premises that they have. The first premise, we know his origins. Uh, we know where Jesus comes from. Premise number two, but no one will know where the Christ comes from. Therefore, Jesus is not the Christ. But on both accounts, they are ill-informed. and They just don't know where he comes from. Uh, look to verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and you do not know him. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Look down to verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go where we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Um, I think what Jesus is saying is quite straightforward. He's going back to the Father, his heavenly origins. But when he says, I'm going back to him who sent me, where do they think he's going? He thinks they think that he's going to the Greeks. And they have no clue where he comes from. It's all a bit random. It's all a bit ill-informed. But also, they don't know his earthly origins. Look down to verse 41. But the other said, this is the Christ. But some said, it's Christ to come from Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Do you notice the crowds? They don't know the basic idea that long time ago in Bethlehem, the Holy Bible says Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. And they don't know his earthly origins. And so they are really ill-informed. 
And I guess um, the, the, the lack of knowledge, the basic knowledge about who Jesus is back then, um, is the same today. There's a general ignorance about Jesus in our society uh, today. I was looking at a survey done by talkingjesus.org. 40% of adults do not think that Jesus existed. And not that he's God, but that he even existed. Uh, this is basic, right? I mean, no self-respecting historian um, would admit that Jesus didn't exist. Um, I've done some walk evangelism, speaking to people on the street, and I remember having a conversation with this chap, and I asked him, do you have an opinion of who Jesus is? And he said to me, I don't think Jesus existed. And it was one of those conversations where um, when you, you think about it, oh, I wish I would have said that then. I didn't, but I wish I would have said this. I wish I'd asked him, well, what year is it this year, 2021? Uh, what year um, was it on year, what was, what was the year before year zero? Well, uh, 1 BC. What do you think BC stands for uh, before Christ? Jesus is historical. Uh, that's an undeniable fact. But there's a general lack of knowledge about the historical historicity of Jesus today. And so Christmas has become about trees, uh, puddings, presents, jumpers, and Santa. Uh, Easter has become about eggs, chocolates, and bunnies. And if anyone is going to reject a man who claimed to be God, at least make an informed decision. You see, society's rejection of Jesus today is ill-informed. And so it is today. And here's a good one to speak to your colleagues about. Uh, gently ask them. Uh, many would think that they know about Jesus because of RE or because of breathing the air of a post-Christian nation. But I guarantee most would be mo- uh, pretty ignorant about who Jesus is. So ask them, do you know who Jesus is? Have you actually read the Bible as an adult? Rejection of Jesus is illogical and also ill informed. But then you might ask, okay, what about the experts? I mean, the experts are the experts. Why do they still reject Jesus? But the third point for today is rejection of Jesus, even by the experts, is irrational. You see, in our passage, the Pharisees, they were a bit envious of Jesus drawing a crowd. And so in verse 32, they sent officers to arrest him. Uh, Look what happened when the officers come back. I look down to verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why do you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Um, It's quite funny. I wonder, it's meant to be a bit comical here. The officers, they're a bit starstruck by Jesus. Um, They see uh, his teaching and they're compelled by his teaching. They're like, oh, no one ever spoke like him. But how did the Pharisees respond? Look to verse 47. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. What do you know? Have any of the experts believed? They don't know the law. John, I think he is a great author. He's also a bit of a comedian. Um, Imagine the picture there with the beards and the robes and really stern faces. And they say, have any of the authorities believed by the crowd? They don't know the law. There's silence. Then you hear, excuse me, 
uh, Nicodemus, uh, one of the Pharisees, he pipes up. Look down to verse 50. And Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You notice what they're saying? Shut up, Nicodemus. Uh, keep quiet. Even though Nicodemus, one of the, the teachers of the law, is asking a very reasonable question. By the way, if you search the scriptures, a prophet did arise from Galilee, and that's Jonah. Uh, so the rejection of Jesus, even by the experts, is irrational. Uh, they don't listen to reason. They already decided their conclusion, that he is guilty, and they won't reason. Uh, even the so-called experts are irrational when it comes to Jesus. They mishandle the truth, and they have mistaken assumptions. And it's worth asking, is it really different today? You see, Richard Dawkins might be an expert in evolutionary biology, which I'm not. But when it comes to Jesus, he becomes irrational. He's already decided for himself that there is no God. And so he skews the truth. One of his latest bestsellers in 2019, uh, this book called Outgrowing God, Beginner's Guide. I guess it's the easier or the yeah, sort of easier version of the God delusion. And his book, he argues that the resurrection is not true. And he makes a point. The resurrection was likely to be invented by new recruits of Christianity. And he says an untrue story can spread because people want it to be true. New believers, they want the resurrection to be true. So they just spread the story. And here's a quote from his book. Can you see how the same might be true for the stories of the resurrection? Early recruits might be eager to pass on rumors of Jesus without checking them for truth. Christians, they want to believe the resurrection, so they created a resurrection later on for them to believe. But that's blatantly not true. The resurrection can't be invented. In fact, the opposite is true. The whole point of the New Testament is to show the Old Testament, the scriptures that came many years before, was promising a resurrected Christ. On Tuesday, we had a Bible study group uh, looking at Romans chapter 1. And I think Margaret, or was it Jeannie, uh, Alistair's mom, uh, noticed that the Old Testament promised a resurrected Christ. Uh, the gospel of Jesus promised in the scriptures is not invented, but promised long ago. You notice we weren't experts. We were just looking at the Bible, studying together. And that was such a basic point. Um, the Messiah, the resurrected Messiah, promised in the scriptures long ago. So sure, Dawkins would have a much greater intellect than most of us. But when it comes to the person of Jesus, these so-called experts become irrational. They've already decided that there's no God. Jesus cannot be divine. And the shocking thing is that he writes to the greater public and people listen to him and they think it's true. Well, how about Bud Ehrman, New Testament scholar, who spends his time teaching the New Testament but rejects the divinity of Jesus. A point he makes is that Jesus' divinity was a later idea only coined during John's gospel. But in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, uh, they don't, um, those authors don't speak about the divinity of Jesus. Again, plainly wrong. Last year, we looked at Mark's gospel together. Mark chapter one, 
John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, Yahweh, who appears on the screen, Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 5, or chapter 4, maybe chapter 6. He comes walking on the water, and what does he say? I am, uh, using the divine name of God. It's blatantly clear that Mark was presenting Jesus as God. Even our non-expert Bible study group saw that plainly in the text. And so, Bart Ehrman, supposed to be an expert, but plainly wrong. And it's irrational to reject Jesus. So that's a big point for today. Rejection of Jesus is illogical, ill-informed, and also irrational. And so I want to encourage you, don't be bamboozled by people on the streets or by the so-called experts, but because there's real ignorance and irrationality going on behind the scenes. Uh, because you attended RE lessons when you were eight, being <laughs> taught by an atheist, that does not count as being informed. And so there's a lot of ignorance today. Now ask the question, have you considered, have you really considered who Jesus is? Have you really read the Bible as an adult? Well, next week, uh, we are dealing with the topic, the healthy skeptic. And again, um, it would be a perfect one to invite people to come. And David, as I mentioned, uh, I'm sure would do a brilliant job of being a former skeptic himself, uh, presenting what Jesus says to Nicodemus. So do invite widely, encourage people to listen in. So don't be duped by society's rhetoric of deluded, juvenile, irrelevant. Accepting Jesus is reasonable, is verifiable, his miracles done in public, it's logical, and it's the educated decision. Uh, it was true then, and it's also true now. What I pray for all time. Father, we praise you for Jesus, and we thank you that in his day, he wasn't ashamed, and he wasn't afraid to speak up publicly. And so we do pray, even as we look at John's account of him, uh, showing that the rejection of him was really ill-informed and ill-logical and irrational back in the day. Pray that that will give us real confidence that we can trust in him today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.